Hopefell is not one of the better known locations for outdoor exploration, but this has probably helped it avoid the overpopulation of the Cairngorms, or its better known northern neighbour, Scarfell. This has probably also been helped by what happened at Torfell in late August 1970. A school party from St Wilfrid's, a state comprehensive a few miles away, had booked him relatively late in the holiday season. This is partly because it was cheaper than in the earlier, more clement weeks, and partly also because of the insistence of a young, ambitious teacher wanting to make a name for himself. His name was David Myers. He'd been outdoorsy from a young age, with a father and older brother in the armed forces. He had deep reserves of drive and self-reliance, but also a classic younger brother attitude that stopped him merely following his elder's path. He had an idea of being part Mr Chips and part Action Man, and imagined a career path where he precociously became the youngest state school head in the country before switching to the private sector so that he could really shape the next generation. He had been desperate for weeks to take a group of kids on a sub-Duke of Edinburgh expedition he devised. He had been poring over maps of Torfell, devising a route that would cover the local landmarks, Best Pool, the Anchor Stone, the crude Spitfire Shelter, allegedly constructed by an RAF engineers expedition in the 1930s. It had always appeared an ambitious route for a single day, but in the later stages of term, he'd managed to persuade the elderly headmaster of St. Wilves what a nice local news story it would be. Naturally, they were selective about whom they invited. Kids within the Venn diagram of sufficiently fit and active, and family able to subsidise, although Mr Myers went out of his way to pay for Dan Higgs. Dan Higgs was unusually small and skinny for his age, but what he lacked in stature he more than made up for an endurance. At 14, he was already one of the best distance runners in the school, despite his meagre diet his postman father and ward sister mother were able to provide. Myers's subsidy was spun as a reward for Dan's outstanding achievement, rather than the cynical charity his parents suspected, and it was enough to get Dan's face, and Myers's name, in the local paper and make it impossible for them to refuse. They were booked in for three nights at Fell Lodge, arriving early enough for the kids to freely explore the grounds and have dinner in the former manor house, which sat in the shadow of Torfell. They also got to meet Louise Southie, the chirpy local trainee who'd been allocated to their group for the duration of their stay. Early next morning, the following group left Fell Lodge to embark on Mr Myers's route. David Myers, 24. Louise Southie, 20, Christian Cray, 17, Hussein Abbas, 16, Imelda Gard, 16, Jacqueline Ketch, 
15 Dan Higgs 14 According to Myers, his plan had been to surprise the group with an overnight bivouac in the Spitfire shelter. This was normally recommended, especially since bad weather was reportedly moving in from the southwest, but Myers insisted that Southie had agreed to it. Objectively, this is hard to square with the report given by a couple of elderly hikers who happened to pass two people standing some way apart from the rest in Myers' group at around 3.30pm, by which time visibility was decreasing and the forecast light hail had started. They didn't report an argument per se, and they themselves were pushing on back for Fell Lodge, but they later remembered phrases that had stuck with them. I'm not sure what you think you can tell me about this, love. What's not very impressive is all these kids toughing you out. Let's see what they make of your uppity attitude back at the lodge. All delivered by the group leader to a smaller, blonde woman who can only have been Southie. Both Gard and Ketch were brunettes. Over the next hour the weather deteriorated rapidly, but according to a late returning birdwatcher, the Myers group still seemed to be heading for the Spitfire shelter. One of Higgs's few distinct memories of the hike was of Myers becoming increasingly agitated and regularly, incrementally, adjusting their direction. He also remembers Abbas had injured his knee and was being carried in some discomfort by Cray and Gard. Higgs doesn't remember seeing what Myers insisted he saw. A brick roof with a makeshift tin chimney billowing smoke. Always over the next ridge, nestling in the next gully, leading them progressively away from the right direction and further from cover. Whenever they reached where it should be, it was never there, luring them into danger like a siren. Of course, there are ghost stories about Torfell. Figures in the mist on the higher cliffs, voices on the wind distinctively calling your name. Myers's experience wasn't unusual, but it was put down to disorientation, dehydration, even to his own determined and optimistic nature. The group had been expected back at Fell Lodge no later than 6.45pm, by which point the snow was falling heavily and a viciously icy wind was blowing. Mountain rescue were contacted, but were only able to clear the lowland areas. The higher parts of Torfell were simply too dangerous until the weather relaxed its grip enough to make them accessible. It was as the wine began to die that Myers appeared at the western approach to Fell Lodge, muttering about a beck and a hook-shaped tree that immediately alerted rescuers to where the rest of the party would be found. They'd taken refuge in a gully that was unusually deep, but owing to its positioning, acted as a snow trap that day. It was here they found the bodies of Southie, Abbas, Ketch and Gard, 
Graves was found approximately 50 yards away at the bottom of a small cliff. All had died of exposure, although Cray, presumably after a rogue attempt to strike out for help, had a fractured skull and collarbone. Higgs was found in the midst of them, and was initially presumed to be dead too. However, he soon began to recover, saved by the body heat of his larger comrades. The ambiguity around the circumstances and the especially unusual weather meant that Myers escaped severe sanction, although he did leave St. Will's shortly after his recovery. Most of the blame was laid on Southie, the various authorities pointing to her of an assumed responsibility by endorsing Myers' plan. As a rural, working-class girl of limited education, her reputation never stood a chance. Even so, both the school and Fell Lodge were privately relieved when the Cairngorm Plateau disaster, just over a year later, took the focus off them, especially since Jackie Ketch's father, Alan, who had never accepted Myers's version of events, himself died on Torfell in October 1971 on one of his expeditions to illegally carve what he felt was an accurate tribute on a rock close to the fatal gully. Higgs recovered, but had lost the gutsiness he used to possess. This is understandable given the nature of his trauma. His survivor guilt, the scrutiny on his story when so much of it had simply gone. He never returned to St. Wilfs, but he did complete an education, marry and have a daughter. The after-effects, however, always kept him closed off, reserved, unambitious. All signs of clear mental harm in an era that simply wasn't equipped to recognise or treat it. He eventually opened up, at least as much as he could, and it's partly his story that I've told here. There won't be any more. Dan Higgs died 18 months ago. To me it seems unarguable that the Torfell tragedy was, to some extent, responsible for this. And that so, by extension, was David Myers. This is why I'm writing this in a room at Fair Lodge in 2015, whilst David Myers sleeps on the floor above. He knows me as a teaching assistant at the Outer London Academy where he teaches, would you believe, geography. He is outgoing polite, and because of a long-standing, close friendship with the board of Fell Lodge, he has been able for many years to get special deals on school visits. This is the only aspect I struggle to understand, more so even than his ranting about a phantom shelter luring the 1970 group to their doom. He has come back, not just once, but many times. If he was ever scared of returning, that has long since worn off. 
It's now just something that increases his prestige at a reasonable price. I've heard that he tells a story about the 1970 disaster on the last night at the end of every stay. A sentimental fable about respect for nature, his own fallibility and the valuable lessons he took from it. In his version, he tries to bring back survivors and sheds a manly tear for those he wasn't able to save. In this version, I will make sure that he cannot even save himself. Mm-hmm.